Yo, what's up? This is Mikey Dab, and welcome to The Hype Report. Each week, we recap the biggest stories from Hypebeast directly from the minds of the editorial team. I'm here to connect the dots. Let's get into this week's show. Hi, my name is Jake. I'm an editor here at Hypebeast, and this week we're talking about the news that Prada and Adidas are working together on a footwear capsule. Big news or nah? Well, it depends on how you want to look at it. I think at the end of the day, we can all agree that there's some merit in talking about a big, you know, household name luxury brand for the first time ever partnering uh, with. I'm, I'm sorry to break in. Who's the household name we're talking Prada. about? Prada. Oh, Prada's a household name. Okay. Prada's a household name. That's my sarcasm, by the way. You got me. Well, the household name that I was uh, referencing, Prada, first sportswear, footwear brand collaboration, uh, Adidas. I mean, we've seen fashion labels with creatives, with sportswear labels. We've seen Missoni Adidas. We've seen Givenchy with Onitsuka Tiger. We've seen Pharrell with Chanel. We've never really seen this household name sportswear brand, household name fashion label. Mm. you know, together. And that's what's kind of making, I think that's what's kind of boosting the appeal of the news. So, so in my mind, I think that maybe Prada can't do it on its own and maybe needs Adidas at this point. But is that what you think? In because like, remember, they, they've made sneakers for 20 years now. I've, I've, trust me, I've owned quite a few back then. This is like I 10 know. years ago I'm talking, but like yeah. as of late, like Prada hasn't really been splashing. You don't think so? I mean, look at Balenciaga. Balenciaga's killing it right well, remember now. Remember two years ago, game. Prada had the cloud bust. <sighs> um, I, regardless of whether you like it or not, that shoe was a big deal for a couple years. Well, <sighs> a year. Yeah. Singularly. I'll, I'll give you the singular year, but uh-huh. like it didn't touch nearly as far or as much as I think mm. uh, Balenciaga has oh, touched. No argument. You, you, I wouldn't you know? argue that. So, so I feel like at this point, like they might actually need Adidas to become more of that household name again. Because remember, like a lot of people wear Adidas. Like as much as yeah. there's like a battle between Nike and Adidas, uh, Adidas is still up there. Definitely. So, I mean, that partnership alone will be enough exposure to bring Adidas back. So you think that's the more the, of the, the impetus here. Was yeah. Prada's seeking that sort of cool of Adidas. And you yeah. think Adidas, on the other hand, is getting that luxury feel of Prada. Because these are being made the shoes are being made in italy yep. in prada's factories mm-hmm. but you think that if prada put out its own because these are going to be sailing shoes they're sort of in line with prada's uh, luna rasa line which is like you know yacht styling uh, i'm you rolling think my that, eyes by the way yeah. just, just so you guys know i'm rolling my eyes at this. Eye rolls. <laughs> so you think that if prada put out these sailing shoes no collaboration in-house footwear line they had a big rollout for it no one would care I think people people would care. Yeah. Um, maybe higher end, mm-hmm. but as far as maybe I'm not gonna say low scale, but as far as like people who collect other things or buy Adidas or buy Nike on the regular are mm-hmm. not paying attention to that yeah. unless it's dropped in collaboration with Adidas. Sure. I think no, that totally. helps a lot more than just do it. Because it's like, where, where are you going to see the shoe? Mm-hmm. Where are you going to see it? I mean, like, you're going to find it at the Soho Adidas. You're definitely going to find it there because well, it's like a higher tier. You're going to find it in, like, your Barneys. You're going to find it in locations that carry Adidas and Prada or Prada alone. Yeah. So, like, you're, you're, you're bridging a lot of gaps just by having that collaboration, which is what it's meant to do. Right. So, well, no, of. I think you're right. And I think that's interesting is to think about that sort of appeal because I think that's what uh, Louis Vuitton got with the Supreme collab. You know, everyone's talked talk to death. I don't even want to talk about it again. But I just want to mention that because that paved the way for the, the household appeal of Louis Vuitton with the streetwear guys, with people who don't spend $7,000 on a monogram shirt, is it, it made the collaboration that much more appealing because it had that luxury attachment to it. Now, the, uh, the Adidas product collaboration, they are a lot more affordable then the Supreme collaboration, it's going to be reportedly 300, 350. So not a, not a Hendr- impulse I mean, buy. Still but, cheaper than Hender scheme. So. Right. Yeah. 
It's cheaper than Ender Scheme. It's cheaper than Balenciaga. It's cheaper than Prada's own in-house shoes. So it's definitely going to get a wider sort of market appeal there. It's, it's in like the, the 4D range. So, I mean, that's right. not terrible either. And a lot of people buy 4D. So the, the price point's where it needs to be. I think the product just needs to be, you know. Right. And that's what I was going to ask you was, do you think people nowadays, you know, aside from Prada's history of footwear, do you think that Prada's footwear is collectible, is covetable, that makes people interested? I mean, sadly enough, and I'm going to say it on record that, you know, it just depends who wears it because a lot of people don't have enough fashion sense to make it their own. I, I, I mean, I, I can't point a finger at anybody in specific, but a lot of people that I see, a lot, a lot of places that I see mm-hmm. uh, promoting product just kind of recycle a look. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you're recycling looks and as like the public and you keep seeing the same things, you're just going to wear the same things. Now, as far as collection goes, depending on who's wearing it and how readily accessible it is, is going to determine that. Sure. And of course, the secondary market, which is something people hate to admit. But like if the secondary market hits a high premium, they're going to do extremely well. Sure. And if it just sits at, you know, the retail cost, nobody's going to care because it's attainable. So they, they have to find like a happy medium of maybe releasing a small amount of the premier product right. to the public at first and have it on certain people. Obviously, your premier athletes or whoever it is, obviously, you're going to see them in their pairs and they're going to wear them and they're going to go, oh, wow, that looks pretty dope. Like uh, James Harden walking into, you know, a game and he's wearing his khaki shorts and a blazer and he's got some footwear on that's product that's and what it, it is, takes yeah it is exactly what it's going to look like depending on what the pieces are and that's going to drive sales sure. which is what they needed to do and then if that piece is the most limited one people are going to drive in droves to go camp out for it or try and hit raffles or use their bots to acquire it and then whatever else follows will also have a residual uh resale to it sure just because of that first hype and then we're good that's what you said was, one thing you said was the the residual, the effect after this. And I think that's going to be interesting to see if we see another luxury brand with another big sportswear brand. We still haven't seen that that uh, Louis Vuitton-Nike collaboration. We still haven't seen, you know, Dior working with that. Oh, we effect. have, though. We have, but we haven't. Not, not, not official. It's not official, it's not official. but I mean, Louis Vuitton and there's, Virgil. There's the influences. It's yeah. not, but that's the thing is it's influences at Louis Vuitton prices. Hmm. So we haven't seen that trickle down into a more affordable, you know, meeting of the minds in that respect. And I think it's, if even if this doesn't, you know, kick down the doors and sort of, you know, start a revolution, it could open that opportunity for more collaborations down the line. I, I 100% agree with you. 100%. The only problem is like, I feel like they're too greedy mm. to even step into that. Like Nike doesn't need it. Right. I mean, Louis Vuitton doesn't need it. I mean, Supreme helped them a lot. Right. I will say that just because it reached a customer that would buy a $48 t-shirt to spend $700 on a t-shirt right. or $900 on a t-shirt or even resale for two grand. Right. Footwear might be a little different. Right. And they don't need it. But maybe it wouldn't hurt. Hmm. I mean, you don't think of Nike as, you know, top tier luxury, you know, must have, you must save up for months to buy it. Nike's accessible. Nike's clothing and Nike's footwear, by and large, is meant to be maybe a luxury at, at a certain level. You know, you can't spend $200 a week on shoes. Uh, tell tell my people. wallet that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> me. <laughs> But it's interesting because, uh, you know, we'll see what this means for the future. If nothing else, I mean, it's a it's a benchmark for luxury meeting with sportswear. I mean, OK, well, I'm just going to touch this real quick. So Nike Supreme this week, five hundred dollar Air Max 90. Sure. Uh, Air Max 95. I'm sorry. Uh, 95 for Lux Leather. Yeah, that's a good comparison. Yeah, I, I, they and every single size and every single color is still sitting on the site. Right. And I, I told people, I'm like, listen, if you want it, wait, be patient. 
because it's going to wind up at one of these wholesale places or uh, Nike warehouse for a liquidation price. Don't totally. waste your $500 on that. And I mean, you kind of could quote me, but I'm sure in three months, someone's going to hit me up and be like, yo, you're right. So, I mean, it just depends. We'll see. It, it really does depend. And I'm interested to see. Uh, always a pleasure. Yep. Nice to see you. Oh, firm handshake. Jesus. All right. All right. <laughs> For the latest in footwear news, you can check out Hypebeast Kicks on Instagram or go to hypebeast.com forward slash footwear. Hey, this is Isaac Rouse, associate editor for Hypebeast.com. We're talking about It Man 4, Donnie Yen's uh, flagship series. The fourth part in the uh, It Man installment franchise has been announced, and we're going to talk about it. I am super excited. I love Donnie Yen. I'm not yeah. going to lie to you. Um, I feel like his career could have been so much more. I, sure. I mean, I'm sure he's he's like legendary overseas. Here, not so much. Well, yeah, I think about it like, Every decade had like kind of like a kung fu kind of master. Yes. You know, from Bruce Lee to Jackie Chan and Jet Lee. And then for some reason, when Donnie Yen showed up, it was kind of like, I don't know, UFC was popping up. You would think in, the, in that climate that like those movies would kind of be like more elevated, but it really hasn't, you know, but it has its fans, don't get me wrong. But as far as like, you know, Americans and Kung Fu artists that kind of get their praise every other decade, he kind of didn't get as much as- He slipped under the radar because there was a lot of other guys too, not to veer too off, uh, veer too far off of uh, it, man, but you had the dude from The Protector. Sure. Uh, the Raid. The, yeah, the, the Raid, yeah, fantastic. Too. So like I think you had a lot of like up and comers from different locations that kind of like spread out the popularity. But he yeah. honestly like his body of work is phenomenal. If, yeah. you, if you're into subtitles and you don't mind like putting that extra work in to watch um, that kind of action movie because it's yeah. definitely more of a drama. Whenever he does, he's like it's, it's well, especially more, the first. One. Yeah. Oof, oof, yeah. It's like a rough. family man trying to do right for his family. You know. Yeah. And then as the series progressed, you know, kind of went the way of the rocket. Oh, they, they realize. Franchise. Yeah, they realize that like you need you need more action. Like it's a lot of it's a lot of reading. Yeah. And I'm like, oh man, this is like a novel, man. <laughs> How when are we gonna get some and then it's like a fight scene, and you're like, oh, this is really good. And then it's like another hour of talk. So I, I think by the third installment they they understood that like they had a nice average right. of action, Mike Tyson. Yeah. I mean he's in the third one. <sighs> and then the second one is sort of like Rocky Four. Yes. Of yes. Uh, It Man movies. Uh, I, I want to roll back to three because Bruce Lee. Yeah, yeah. They had an introduction to Bruce Lee as a student. And um, I think they get into that in part four because he's going to the United States and he's going to visit Bruce Lee. I'm imagining like towards maybe not the height of his like film career, but he's probably just starting. Um, I forget the timeline where it's taking base, but he's also going to like this military base. To, yeah, like, yeah, that's that's what the clip displays, right? Yeah, and he, he's he's paired up against uh, Scott Adkins, right? For those of you who don't know, uh, I wouldn't say B. I guess you could say B-list kind of actor for all these like uh, Netflix films or like Cinemax movies or things of that nature, where it's just a, a martial artist. The guy's talented. He's right. a phenomenal athlete. Yeah, like I've I've watched him like just just train, and he is an animal. So to speak. So, I mean, uh, I'm I'm curious to see what it's gonna look like. Yeah, like sure. That's that's where like the It Man movies are going. Like the draw is like, who's he fighting now? The last one it was like Mike Tyson. That's a huge draw. Like Mike Tyson is just like a, a universal yeah kind of name. What I'm hoping, even though it was cool for what it was in It Man three. The action kind of gets superhero-y <laughs> at times. Like, you know, like I said, it goes like the Rocky route, the franchise. Like the first one is like this honest, like has a heart story. 
earnest, if you will. Earnest, earnest. if you will. Yeah. The second one is like Rocky Four. He's like getting revenge for his home, his fallen like uh, yeah, his fallen homie, and he has to fight the guy who killed him. Uh, Third one's family. Third one's family, but you know, you kind of got like the like a uh, Clover Lang kind of thing with uh, Mike Tyson. And now this fourth one, I'm wondering what like the relationship is kind of going to be like because you know he's in this military base. Is it going to be like you know? Sort of like part two, where it's like Chinese and in Great Britain, but instead of Great Britain, it's the United States. Or like, what are the themes gonna be? <laughs> but that's that's just because I'm a writer, so I'm looking at plot first. No, no, but no. most people are here for the action. I, I definitely understand where you're coming. Like, they have to give you something. Like, he's traveling to the United States because he's making a new life for uh, his child. They they want to start fresh. Okay, I get it. But like, obviously, upon arriving uh, on import or coming in, <laughs> bumps into somebody. The military is there, and they they see that he might have a little bit of skill. It's got act has that glaring look he always has that glaring like i want to fight you look in every single movie so like i'm sure it's like one of those situations that lines up and they're just like uh okay now we're gonna do this you just see him i heard you run these hands and this is just the plot <laughs> but I, I i'm curious to see if there's gonna be like a follow-up with uh with bruce lee as well right since there's like a travel to the u.s and i'm assuming it'll be in california I'm assuming or la area or san francisco i think it was in san francisco if i'm not mistaken bruce lee earlier on I got, I can't, I can't, yeah, so, something like that. I'm yeah, sure he's in that, that region somewhere. So, but like, I don't think it, man, when it originally came out, like it was supposed to be like a franchise type no, thing. Absolutely not. So I wonder, I'm wondering now, is it like, are they going to keep going with it? Man's, I mean, Donnie Yen, like he can write his own ticket at this point. He, he's like a star. He's been in the force awakens. Yeah. Um, even the Ray guys, now to think about it, they were in, um, 20, uh, they were 22. The they were in The Force Awakens, and Donnie Yen was in Rogue One. But yeah. Oh, yes, 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 yeah, yes, yes. yes. Uh, he could write his own ticket. This It Man's thing it has to be like a, a passion project for him at this point because he, he's still attached to it for so long. I'm sure there's money in it. What I'm wondering is, like, is it going to be like a passing of the torch type thing? Like, I mean, I, I pray that they don't they don't destroy it also. Because, you know, sometimes you get to, like, four, you're like, okay. Yeah. We're getting there. We're, <laughs> we're getting there. You're stretching it. And like you said, it gets kind of superhero. Like, it's it's weird to watch it sometimes, especially, like, being U.S.-based, like, how much of that action style is going to carry over. You, you know what I'm saying? Sure. Like, it's two different genres. Like, if you go to the U.S. action films, or they're definitely more CGI yeah, uh, as far as like car movies and things of that nature, but like when when action comes to it, like I love their, their like gunfight scenes. They're very like explosive. There's yeah. it's very real and very raw. Like I don't know how much is that is gonna relate. Well, th- like kung fu movies has always had its like audience in the United States, and even even like more so in like you know hip hop, '90s hip hop, and stuff like that. But it, it's always had an audience in in America, even though it's super niche. Like you said, it doesn't have like the mainstream appeal of like you know guns and explosions and stuff like that. But, you know, it has all the elements, though. It has all the elements. <laughs> it's just, it's drawn out. Yeah, it, it's just... It, I'm it's like, get to the fucking point. It, get it, to the point already. It's the choreography that, that's, Ooh. like, the big thing. Ooh. Like, making sure you know your spots. And that's kind of why, like, the Mike Tyson kind of fight was kind of cool. Because, you know, he's incorporating his boxing techniques. But he's also, like... He's memorizing all these spots and he's punching windows out and glass and stuff like that. Pieces of glass uh, shoots out and to like the open kind of like warehouse area because they're fighting in a warehouse and it cuts this balloon off of this little girl's like the the, the, the wire off this little girl's balloon. <laughs> like that I, I love. I mean, you can only get that in like a, a crouching tiger type thing or 
It's corny. It's corny. It uh, is corny. I'm not going to let you finish that. It's corny. It like, is corny. Every time I see something like that in one of those movies, I'm like, oh, man, you just ruined this whole fight scene <laughs> for me. Like, who cares? And then, like, she's staring at the balloon in super slow motion. Meanwhile, there's, like, a whole fight <laughs> going on 16 feet above. Some dude's getting jacked up. And then 10 minutes later, like, Donnie Yen's face is clear. Like, there's no... I'm like, what is going on right now? That bothers me, but I, I like the, I like you know, the cinematography that goes into fighting because it shows like a level of beauty. Yes. In combat. Yay. In the, in, in, it's know, Black it's Swan hardy. for men. <laughs> it is Black Swan. This elegant dance between two partners that someone's going to get beat up at the end. Like in, in this massive amount of trash talking. Yeah. It's it's one of the reasons like I feel like. There's a story that I'm working on where it's like why the culture messes with Dragon Ball Z so much. And I feel like that's the case because Dragon Ball Z is equal parts kung fu movie and WWE promos. Huh. Like, huh. and you can get a little bit of both of that, especially in the last two It Man movies. There's a lot of trash talking. There's a lot of like uh, cheesy uh, dialogue and there's a lot of action. There's a lot of uh, kicking. And I feel like those are the elements that you're talking about that appeal to the Western audiences. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I, I definitely enjoy all of the back and forth in these movies. And there's always like these types of scenarios where it's this big bad wolf, this little guy who's like, you know, I'm quiet. I'm, you know, I'm just the master of my, my Wang Chung. And then all of a sudden, like he beats up 35 people in a row. Like that, that's enjoyable to me because everybody wants to envision being able to do that kind of stuff. I think that's what we, we kind of take on and like well, viewing it from me, maybe from you, like the idea that like this could be an actual scenario. Yeah, you definitely get to live out vicariously through yeah, the characters. Yeah, that's the whole point of watching this movie is to escape for two hours, to be like, oh man, uh, if my family, you know, bought it because Mike Tyson had a corporation in my area, I would want to beat him up too. And then like, <laughs> I want to punch out glass and then beat him up and then kick him in the chest, like and jump off a rail, like, and then see a little girl crying because her balloon's flying <laughs> away. Like, like, I don't care about that part, but like, that's really what you embody when you watch these movies. But like Ip Man 4, 2, 3, and leading up to 4, which has been like a, what was the last one? 2016 was the last one. Right. Was what, so like, there's quite the gap in between there. So my other question is like, why now? I think Donnie Yen's schedule probably finally just uh, freed up. allows for it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, uh, 4 was always in the works, um, especially because uh, 3 did so well uh, box office-wise and mm -hmm. reception-wise. So, you know, franchises nowadays, that's the, like the, the era we're living in, and if it's making money, it's going to keep going. Best part about it is that, you know, Donnie Yen is still a part of it. And like yeah. I said, it, it seems like he's really passionate about Man, probably especially as a figure and just making sure his name is known within like the general uh, population within pop culture because he's such an important figure in the martial arts community. True. So um, I'm optimistic about the movie. I'm sure it's going to do well. I'm sure the I'm sure we're going to go see it. Great. I'm sure I'm going to see it. Yeah. Yeah, we, we didn't see Joker, so maybe we can go see this. Yeah, uh, are you yeah. down for the subtitles? I, I, I don't care. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's reading, reading. You know what I'm saying? At some point, they're going to fight, so that'll make up for all the reading. Exactly. All right, always a pleasure. Always. We'll uh, we'll do a recap on this too, because I definitely want to. Uh, I'm curious to see how this ends up. Me too. All right. For the latest in entertainment news, follow Hype Beast on Instagram or go to hypebeast.com forward slash entertainment. Hey, it's Nia Gross. I'm an associate editor at Hype Beast, and today we're going to cover some fashion and talk about the Costume Institute Spring 2020 exhibition which is called About Time, Fashion and Duration. 
Many of you may know this as the Met Gala or the Met Museum's annual exhibition. And so they announced this yesterday. So basically what we have, uh, I'm a little excited because every year when they they first display this stuff, like the the celebrities go crazy. Like the designs are like out of control. I know like, and because we're going so far back in time and into time now, like the collaborative efforts are going to be through the roof. So so, so basically what we're, we're doing the 150th anniversary. Yep. And like, what does that, that time span kind of incorporate? Yeah. So the Met next year will be celebrating their 150th anniversary. So they're going back as far as 1870 in order to draw comparisons between fashion of the past and fashion today. And they're even going to conclude it with a quote-unquote fashion of like the future segment. And they'll touch on sustainability in that, as we, which we know is really huge right now in the fashion industry. I kind of like that sustainability aspect, but I'm, I'm more curious about the past. Because you know what? Sometimes looking at the dresses, they're, they're very Victorian mm-hmm. sometimes when you look at them. And sometimes they're very uh, futuristic, too. So like, it, it's good to see what kind of mashup is going to come. I mean, I'm sure the dresses are going to be insane. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't wait to see some of the examples they were saying, like Alexander McQueen might have pieces on view and that might be next to a 19th century bustier style dress or corset dress. So I'm curious to see how it looks together. I also really want to see it visually because they said that they're going to have an all black section. So a lot of the pieces will be in chronological order, all in black, kind of showing how things have evolved and become more modernized, even though it's all in the same color. And then they also plan to do a section that's like a lot of all white pieces. But this one, I believe, is supposed to jump back and forth between different time frames in order to show the similarities in fabrication and technique and pattern, regardless of what year it was created. So Virginia Woolf will be ghost narrating. (laughs) Can we elaborate on that a little bit? Like I've what? never heard of a ghost narrator. I guess it's similar to a ghost writer, except for the fact that she's obviously deceased. She's a famous Actual author. Actual ghost. Uh, so, but they're going to be apparently using some of her works in order to provide commentary as you go throughout the exhibition, basically. And then they're also the theme. One of the themes that they're basing it on is la durée, which means duration. And that comes from Henri Bergson, who's a French philosopher. So they're definitely going back in time as far as the actual context around the fashion, too. So it should be interesting. They always put together a really well thought out exhibition. Hopefully it's well-rounded in terms of the actual designers and the works that are on show. So that still has yet to be seen. Uh, the duration? La durée, duration, yeah. Well, very, very intriguing uh, piece because he won the Nobel Peace Prize also based on his theory on the the evolution change, because people were like, oh, there's no such thing as evolution. Yeah. And like his idea was like, oh, no, there is. And <laughs> then obviously, like, they realized, like, he knows what he's talking about. Right. So it, it's cool to see, like, the, and I think he was 10 years old when the Met Gala started. It's cool to see that kind of progression from that time and art, so to speak. Like, yeah. it, it just, it's a testament to, like, the growth of people, so to speak. I agree. I think that's part of why... Sometimes the Met does choose someone who doesn't seem like innately a fashion person or totally isn't a fashion person. And they're just trying to show fashion regardless if you agree or not. It's going to show up throughout history and you're going to be able to track certain things and compare it to what's going on, the zeitgeist, as they say, spirit of the times. 
it kind so, of repeats itself too. Totally. As is like my biggest thing is like everybody's like, oh, you know, I'm not going to see this. Over. You're going to see it again. Right. In some way, shape or form, you're going to see like a bell, like a bell bottom. Like I thought I'd never see bell bottoms again. Right. <laughs> but if you look at style now, like it's a very flared bottom on pants, even totally. guys, women, like everybody and like, it's, it's a bell bottom. I don't, <laughs> I don't care what anybody says. You it's know? so true. That's why I think it's smart that they're, at least if I'm reading their press release correctly, that one side is going to be totally chronological. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But then the other side is going to like jump around and just kind of show you that there's going to be similarities throughout history. So I think it'll be really cool how it comes together. I'm excited. I'm excited for this. Well, uh, thanks for stopping by. Uh, I look forward to more. Do you have, a, you have anything else you want to throw No, I mean, I think maybe just one last interesting tidbit is what do you got for one me? of the co-chairs is Meryl Streep. I'll, I'll say all of them. It's Nicholas Gasquier, who's at Louis Vuitton, mm-hmm. Lin-Manuel Miranda, Emma Stone, Anna Wintour, Vogue, and then Meryl Streep, which this is actually... From what I heard, Meryl Streep's first Met Gala, which is like super surprising. Wow. And exciting. I mean, it, for just any fans of entertainment, fashion, obviously she portrayed. She is not a spring chicken, by the way. I, like for this to be her first Met Gala is like kind of crazy. So I think that's going to be exciting. Can't wait to see what she's wearing and just what all the celebrities are wearing. This is definitely a theme that can be interpreted many ways mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in many eras. I'm exci- yeah, like I said, I'm excited. This, this should be fun. Well, I'm excited to see what Cardi B is going to wear, truthfully. I'm not <laughs> That's all you care about? That's all I care about. She comes She comes with the heat. That's all I know. Fair enough. Nia? Thanks. Always a pleasure. For the latest in fashion and style, follow Style on Instagram or go to Hypebeast.com forward slash fashion. Hey guys, it is Patrick Johnson with Hypebeast Music. And this week, we are going to be recapping the mysterious and elusive return of Frank Ocean. Uh, insert applause and woos. Uh, yeah. All right. Let's, let's do this. All right. So a brief recap, right? It's been almost a week since his latest single in my room dropped. Um, unfortunately, since I was traveling, we couldn't touch base on it, um, but I'm happy to talk about it this week. But there's also a little bit of controversy that has come with his return because of the Prep Plus parties. So a brief recap with that. Um, he's hearkening back to the whole like 70s mid 80s you know gay dance scene in new york city um and he's named it after an hiv aids drug to kind of you know reference that but he released some merch and because he would be profiting off of it the uh hip-hop and uh indie head twitter has gone off with you know some upset give me a reason i mean honestly just give me a reason to be upset is i feel like the world we live in but outside of that i this might be one of those justifiable causes uh considering I mean, his, his orientation, right? Right. His mm-hmm. classification. Ooh, I feel like that's a very touchy subject to even. Yeah, definitely. To um, even name something or, or, or base your clothing line off of that. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. But I appreciate it. I think he's taking hip hop and, you know, his form of music to places that really hasn't gone before. Um, I remember, you know, in the early 2000s, people just speculating on like, what would ever happen if there was you know, a gay rapper who was out and, you know, would that be acceptable? Here we are in 20, almost 2020 and legitimately one of the best artists of our generation is doing that in terms of the music. So he dropped DHL and then followed that up by previewing a remix of an Arca and Skepta song on Blonded Radio. And then he dropped In My Room, which is incredible. You know, it loops perfectly. It comes in at just like right around the two minute mark. And um, the way he's rapping, 
um, he's dealing with like really masculine subject matter and that like he's approaching it in ways that rappers in the past have, but just in the context of past relationships with men, mm -hmm. which I think there's this dichotomy in terms of his fans. Like, are they going to rap along with it if they're like a straight male? And I think the only person that can really do that, the way that it's going to be done is Frank Ocean. And it's a testament to the kind of artist that he is. Well, I, I have to agree with you on that. I was a little... I want to say taken back after his last album. I I didn't realize what I was listening to till like the third time around when I was actually soaking in the lyrics. So typically like I'll just listen through an album and I'll let it play. And then by like the third time when I'm like realizing what the lyrics are, I'm like, oh, wait, time out. What was I listening to? I was already vibing with it, like vibing with like the, the melodic tunes, the the way that he delivers. Like he's fantastic. Like like you said, he's probably one of the best artists of our time. Oh, yeah. So. I'm I'm not even nervous. Like uh, I mean, I might not sing it out loud, but like at the same time, I'm still gonna listen to it. Oh yeah, definitely. I think from this perspective, and right, a lot of the times when he releases music, I get caught up in pretty much everything outside of the lyrics. But with the past two songs, everything has really been like on its face and on the surface, and like really bold. So we don't know if he's dropping a, like a full length project. There's been a lot of conspiracy theories because each album cover has had like these silhouettes in the bottom left corner of different poses. And every time a single releases, it like is highlighted. So there's 17 of them, two of them have released. So are we getting 17 singles? Are we getting a project with 17 songs? Who knows? And he's not really gonna let us know. You know, for all I know, he could be dropping something as we're having this conversation. And In My Room dropped at like 2.40 in the morning on a Saturday. So he's not beholden to a label. He can really do whatever he wants. And I think when it comes to being in this type of, you know, mindset, you really just take everything at face value. And whenever Frank drops something, it's just a, it's a treat. So I'm going to do devil's advocate on this. And you obviously are a champion for Frank Ocean. But the inverse to uh, Frank Ocean's approach, uh, a lot of backlash from a lot of different people. Yeah, I think with the the Prep Plus was was definitely an interesting way to start. And a lot of people that are involved in that community took, uh, you, you know, they, they had problems with it. For me, I wasn't even educated on it. So I had to do background research and I wasn't even, you know, aware of, I guess, what the controversy would be until I started reading about it on Twitter and, you know, everything. So... But yeah, we, we live in cancel culture. So I don't doubt, though, that it came with with him. It came from a place of being genuine and wanting to like reference a time period that's been influential into like his own path. I really don't think he ever does anything to spark controversy or to draw attention to himself. Um, so, yeah. And it'd also be interesting to see like how long that controversy kind of stays. If he still has the prep plus, um, you know, parties then maybe it'll continue especially if merch continues to release but yeah and also that it's only influenced by the parties it's not really like in the music right now the music is yeah it's kind of standalone in and of itself so. I, mean, I mean think think about the rawness of the lyrics that that he's uh, already kind of put out there what do you think censorship is going to be like as far as radio stations in airplay I don't know. That's also the thing is, you know, he has a really close relationship with Beats One and Apple, and they're mm -hmm. going to continue to give him his own radio station and platform to promote his other artists that he collaborates with, like Vegan. Shout out to Vegan, who just dropped a pretty incredible project, and then Arca and all those people. So, um, 
yeah, going forth, he's not really like a radio, radio artist. I'd be very yeah. surprised if as much as I would love to tune into like Hot 97 or Power 105 and hear like nights occasionally, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. So um, I'm not too worried about the censorship quality of it. More so what I'm worried about is if we're going to get a full-fledged project and... Well, you just want the whole album. Yeah, because... <laughs> I, just, it, I, just, yeah, I just need all Standalone singles are incredible. Some of my favorite Frank songs are songs like, you know, Chanel or Raph, where he's like really just spitting. And mm -hmm. I think Earl Sweatshirt has been on record too being like, nah, man, Frank is like one of my favorite rappers. Like not just as an artist, but when, you know, Frank puts, you know, pen to paper or even freestyles, what we get as a result is something pretty incredible. Um, but you know, I mean, I think it's pretty evident that I'm a big Frank Ocean stan. Um, based Nothing on, wrong with that, man. Based on the where this podcast is going. So, but yeah, at face value, I think the lyrics in this one jump out and they're hyper-masculine lyrics about his relationships with guys to traditional, somewhat experimental hip-hop beats. And it's gonna be really interested if traditional hip hop fans kind of accept that, but at the same time, it's it's twenty twenty. So I, I'm I'm totally for it. like moving forward. I, I think like the more it's in the public eye, the more the public exception becomes. You know what I'm saying? Like like yeah. hiding it is the worst thing you could do, right? Because then it's like yeah, nobody feels comfortable. Like like I said, I, I just play devil's advocate at this yeah. point because like I like to know what the different perspectives can mm -hmm. or will be. But at the end of the day, like if it's not out in the open, like it's hard for anybody to understand because that's the biggest right. issue. Exactly. Like people don't understand what they fear or they fear what they don't understand is how it goes usually. So like hey, like I'm happy that he has this kind of potential. Mm -hmm. to even expose this to people that, you know, in, in a way that they can digest, because that's really what it comes down to is people are able to digest what it is that they're listening to because it's, it's, it's great. Yeah. The, the way he delivers is fantastic. So, I mean, I'm with it. Yeah. And if Tyler as well with flower boy, then Igor, especially with the Igor visuals too, Ooh. with Tyler's Ooh. like blatantly chasing like white men in his videos now is like, this is very possible. And this is, I don't think that part of it is going to spark controversy. I think really it's just the Prep Plus like merch that has mm -hmm. and the overall parties. But I'm really excited for where this is going to go because I think the way that Frank is exploring his new kind of musical journey is letting people know that he can still make like music that slaps as like hard music. And the even the lyrics kind of reflect that because he's openly bragging about, you know, chasing guys and stuff like that. And it sounds similar to whatever traditional hip hop would do with women. So yeah. <laughs> like, huh. yeah. So I get it. But please listen to it. It's it's amazing. And I'm really excited and hopefully, you know, this weekend at two forty AM on a Saturday he drops something else. That would be dope. All right. Thank Thanks you, sir. Bye. Always a pleasure. Yep. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Hype Report. You can find out more about the show and listen to other episodes on hypebeast.com forward slash radio. You can subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. Leave a comment and let us know what you think about this week's topics. You can reach out to me on Instagram at Mikey Dab, and that's two Bs. And shout out to the editorial team. I'm Mikey Dab, and thanks for listening to The Hype Report. Any comment, opinion, or suggestion made by any person contained in this episode does not represent Hypebeast in any way, and those genuinely are their individual, personal opinion, and thoughts towards the topic shared. 